founders often don't have someone outside of the business, you know, outside of investors, employees that they can be quite vulnerable with. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. In the final episode of our Career Spotlight, we're taking a look at an increasingly popular role in the startup world, the advisory role. Over the past 12 months, we've seen more and more startup operators take on advisory roles and have placed a number into our clients. And it's really had a meaningful impact for founders. Although becoming a popular move, there isn't a lot of information available when it comes to how to move into an advisory role, how to find opportunities or how to position and price yourself. So to help answer these questions, we're joined by our very own principal, Marina Maxwell, and one of our brilliant candidates, Chris Siegel, who is an advisor to D2C Brands. So a big welcome to 40 Minute Mentor, Chris and Marina. Thank you very much for joining us. I thought we could kick off with some introductions so our listeners can get to know you. So if you don't mind, can we get a 30 second overview of your experience? So Chris, I'll come to you first. Sure. So I've spent the past 16 years working in fast growth direct-to-consumer centric brands, most of which are now pretty well known and and most of them now omni-channel selling across direct-to-consumer and retail. In 2010, I joined the first kind of marketing team at at the snack company Grays and went on an extraordinary journey growing that brand. Um, And in 2013, a few years later, I relocated to New York to launch the brand out there. A few years later, I was director of growth at HelloFresh, which is another European food brand trying to crack America and doing so with about 10 times the budget, 10 times the resource, and about 20 times the chaos. And then in 2017, I relocated back home uh, to the UK to launch Harry's, the men's shaving company in the UK market, and spent six years building and scaling that brand here and also in the EU. Uh, And for the past year, I've been working full-time as an advisor. Chris, thank you so much. Um, Absolutely love your CV, and I have consumed many a Gray's snack bar over the years. So uh, this is very exciting for me. Marina, I obviously know you uh, very well, but uh, would you mind giving us a, a 30 second overview of your CV as well, please, if you don't mind? I'm Argentinian, grew up in Argentina and was there until I was 25. Originally started um, accounting and business, um, started my career in finance, actually working for a large corporate, then moved to the UK in 2016 to do a master's in international relations. And then, like everyone else, I think, sort of like landed in recruitment. And I've been in JBM for the last three years, initially came on board in 2020 to launch our interim offering. And I now look after our commercial and go-to-market mandates, both interim and perm. So that is me. Well, it's so good to have you both on the podcast talking about a topic that I love and is really, really booming. I think I mentioned it in the introduction, but we've seen this real drive to both become advisors on the candidate side and also hire advisors uh, into startups over the last 12 months, but actually probably the last two years. So Marina, you have been at the forefront of placing some of the best operators around into advisory roles. So first things first, what is an advisor? Because some people might be listening to this going, what are we talking about? So tell us, what is an advisor? It's a tricky one, right? Because it's such a large topic. But I think from a startup context, I would say I would describe an advisor as someone who gives guidance, expertise and general strategic advice to a company. At ABM, I think we've seen it take different shapes or forms, which is completely fine. But in general, I think they're hired to 
navigate challenges, uh, help founders make informed decisions and with a view of ultimately accelerating growth. So I think it's hiring an advisor is a way of leveraging their experience to enhance your chances of success. Um, so that would be the, the quick answer. They're critical in shaping the direction of a startup, but I would say, although they do provide some guidance, they ultimately give the founders the space to make decisions just more informed and having you know the, the right context. And we've seen at least at ABM, I think advisors can be generalists, but we've seen them often have either you know specific um, function knowledge or also be an industry specific domain advisor. And so I think yeah, the right startup advisor can be absolutely invaluable for for new companies, especially in sectors that require you know subject matter expertise. Amazing, thank you. And Chris, you are. A great example of that. Is there anything you'd add to that sort of description? Or what does being an advisor mean to you? Marina's nailed it there. I, I, you know, broadly, I think it's anyone that can add value to your brand, your organization. It means several different things, right? Like it can be a friend of the founder who's doing it for free. It can be an advisory board. It can be an operator who's providing operational advice. It can be a day a week, an hour a week, three days a week can be what we kind of consider a fractional, right? And there's a bunch of information about what fractional is versus an advisor, and it gets a little bit murky. But anyone that adds, is adding value and guidance to you and your company, I think that's probably where I would start. Love that. Thank you so much, both of you. And Marina, just coming to you, why do you think this has become such a popular move for top talent? You know, we are seeing some of the very best people in our network sort of decide this path. And what are some of the benefits for candidates that choose to take it? To answer the first question, I think, you know, we've seen the market for talent become extremely competitive and very time consuming. I think businesses are constantly seeking talent at a much faster rate than the market can provide, especially for scaling businesses. So I think advisors can be great leverage for, for the hiring strategy. They also have incredible networks that they can build in an organic when, as and when needed. And we've seen this trend increase because it's a very cost-effective way, I think, for founders to access 100% of someone's expertise for a fraction of the time at a fraction of the cost. These are scale-ups we're talking about. So these are companies that are constantly navigating challenges, setting goals, mitigating risks. So hiring an advisor is a great way of staying ahead on the curve. And then the last thing I would add to that is that we've also seen this increase because companies tend to also hire an advisor when things aren't going as smooth or they're looking to make a big sort of strategic turn and the reality is I think over the last couple of years we've seen a lot of pivoting and a lot of change so it's it's been a great time to hire one and when it comes to uh, benefits for for candidates I'm sure Chris ha has, has an answer to this as well but I think in summary being an advisor offers a unique and flexible way for candidates like Chris to contribute to a company gain diverse experience and, and also there's a great potential of reaping financial rewards through maybe equity ownership. I think speaking to a lot of the candidates in our pool, there's a lot of people in startup and scale-ups that often end up wearing so many hats and you know spending most of the time in firefighting mode and not necessarily delivering the impact they're looking for. So that's a big motivation for people to go into either an advisory or, or a fractional role is that when hiring for an advisor, I think there's a much bigger focus to maximize that value add that Chris was referring to earlier. So rather than just putting them on anything that needs done, they're going to be really focused. And that can be very beneficial and extremely rewarding for, for candidates. And I think just to name a couple others, so flexibility is, is a great one. Diversity, you know, you can work with multiple companies on a simultaneous way. Great for also individuals who want to, you know, get back in the scene, but they're not quite ready for a full-time job, or maybe a company would be quite too early for them to come back on a full-time. But it's a great way of, you know, stimulating and contributing to continuous learning. Impact and mentorship is another big one. I think 
advisors really like having that significant impact, not only on the success of a startup, but also on candidates through through mentoring. So I think that can be a great way of contributing to success through constant innovation. And the final one for me would be, it's kind of like you get a taste of entrepreneurial experience. So you get a taste of that without the full commitment. So we see candidates that maybe come off the back of a couple of big jobs and they want to, they're thinking of doing something on their own, but this is a great way of sort of like getting your first gig and start to get a feel for what that would look like before going full on and launching yourself as a, as a proper business. Thanks so much, Marina. Chris, do you mind sharing a bit about sort of why you made the, the transition to becoming an advisor? And were there any challenging parts of that shift from a, a full-time role to to the advisory position? I've been an advisor for kind of more than the last year. I've actually been doing it on the side for about nine or 10 years. So for me, it was actually more of a, an evolution than a transition. And I would really encourage people that are in full-time roles to consider advisory as a bit of a side hustle. It's really rewarding, uh, adds significant value to your own professional development. And you can bring a lot of what you learn from kind of working with other companies back into your day-to-day job. So I'd really encourage people to, to do it. I'd also really encourage companies to encourage their staff, you know, certain certain staff or, or employees to do it and not be afraid um, of it, actually. It, it'll add a lot of string to your kind of employees' bows. Uh, it will give them a lot of perspective, breadth of perspective and exposure to different ways of working that they can then bring back to their full-time role. So for me, I've always done it. I've done it for about nine or 10 years um, alongside full-time roles. At the beginning of last year, I decided to give it a go full-time. I really love diving into a new company, getting to know a new team and trying to understand it really quickly and add value really quickly. I just find that really rewarding. It's fascinating. And certainly when you work in one company for a long time, there is a danger of just sort of seeing one way of doing things. And actually, there is often multiple ways of doing things, multiple approaches. And and I personally find that really rewarding to see and to see whether I can add value across different categories, different types of businesses, different life stages. Second, I'm just fascinated by meeting new teams, new business models, getting kind of under the skin of different categories, different financing, right? Depending on your financing as a business, if you're bootstrapped or if you've got a lot of VC funding, you might approach things different ways. I find it fascinating to get under the skin, get behind the curtain of all of these things and and just understand how different people do things. It's really, really kind of rewarding to see and professionally, it's actually very rounding. Lastly, for me, direct to consumer has gone through kind of a pretty tough time, I'd say over the last 12 to 18 months, funding dried up, a lot of companies struggled to scale profitably. Actually, somewhat selfishly, I was keen to get behind the curtain of as many brands in as many categories as I could to try and understand who's winning, who's losing, what are the facets of a company that's doing well in this environment, that's doing badly, seeing more challenge. So somewhat selfishly, it was to get a glimpse behind the curtain of a bunch of different companies and maybe guide kind of where in the future I might want to settle in my next kind of full-time role. Love that. Thank you for sharing. And what does a typical day look like for you now? And do you mind sharing some of the different ways that you've helped founders in your advisory career to date, just to get to kind of put into context what being an advisor means to you? Yeah, I mean, the, the day-to-day can change quite dramatically depending on the brand that I'm working for, what size or shape that business takes. But, you know, for the last few months, I've worked for three different brands across five days of the week. One brand Monday, Tuesday, another Wednesday, another Thursday, Friday. The first brand being Hampshire-based, the second being London-based, and the third being Wiltshire-based. So 
at times I felt a little bit like a traveling salesman, right? I'm doing a lot of driving. I've got my shirt hanging up in the back of the car. I'm quickly getting changed in the car park, right? Like it's quite, it's quite different to kind of rocking up to the Harry's office in Covent Garden every day, which I did for five days a week. Typically, the kind of assignments start with a massive data dump of information and a review of the deliverables, right? And then you sort of just work your way through those deliverables in a priority order, right? Sort of kind of high level, how your day-to-day looks. So it might be one day you're coaching someone. It might be the next day you're spending more of your time with the founder or you're deep diving into the business model or you're deep diving into, say, the marketing mix and focusing on that particular part of the agreed deliverable. You know, over the past 12 months, gosh, I've done all sorts of things. I've helped teams to build kind of models to understand their direct-to-consumer unit economics and the efficiency of their marketing spend, and then sitting back and going, what does this mean for us long-term? I've advised on org design, hiring, restructures, evolved ways of working, so more kind of team-based. I have introduced founders and teams to sort of best-in-class digital marketing agencies, recruiting agencies, creative agencies, help brands expand their marketing mix. <laughs> Often brands are just, they start on Google and, and Meta and they stay there. And then they go, goodness, we should probably diversify our mix. So I've helped teams really think about how to broaden out the mix. Coaching, often there's a lot of coaching, individual team members. As Marina said, you know, they often want to hire someone uh, kind of experienced, at kind of a high level of experience, but they can't afford it. So bringing someone in like myself, I'm able to kind of upskill the team to a kind of slightly higher level without them having to have kind of paid for someone like me full time, which is often out of the realms of possibility for some brands. And then lastly, just, you know, for some brands that are slightly smaller, getting my hands dirty, dialing the clock back 10 years in my career and jumping on, you know, Facebook advertising, Google advertising, developing creatives, right? Stuff that I wasn't definitely not doing when I was running direct consumer at Harry's, but actually keeps your hand in the game, keeps you kind of warm and keeps you relevant. And so actually, yeah, you know, I'd really encourage advisors, don't shy away from getting, you know, getting hands on because actually operational help is often what a lot of these companies want and need in addition to the strategic. A hundred percent. And that is a message we hear time and time again from our founders. And when we, we launched SOS, the part of the the sell to clients was these aren't just theoretical advisors that just do strategic stuff and sit in an ivory tower. These are hands-on operators that really move the needle and have a kind of really quick impact. And what you've described there just shows the, the amazing variety that's on offer as an advisor. That is one of the big reasons why I think it's so appealing to so many people. So thank you for sharing. For founders who are thinking of bringing an advisor in, but also an advisor, you often find that you are a shoulder for founders. And this is a really important one. Um, it's often not in the kind of explicit deliverable that you're asked to be kind of brought in on. But founders often don't have someone outside of the business, you know, outside of investors, employees that they can be quite vulnerable with, share honest concerns and thought partner with. You often find an, as an advisor, you are that shoulder for a founder or a CEO that they just perhaps don't have elsewhere. And, that's something that I would just say is worth thinking through if you are an advisor and also if you're a founder. Great advice. Marina, what advice do you have for anyone that's listening to this that wants to move into advisory in 2024? The first thing is to really identify, you know, what's the overlap between what you're good at and what you want to be doing, essentially what problems you want to be solving, because it then becomes a lot more easier to know, okay, who might benefit from me solving this problem? And you can be a lot more targeted with your approach. And I know this sounds a lot more simple than it actually is, but I think getting this right is not a simple task, especially for candidates that have maybe 20 plus years of experience. Are you a subject matter expert or do you see yourself more as a functional advisor? What makes you really unique? 
identifying that is is a first step. And then work on your story. I think I think I see candidates all the time having great experience, you know, great CVs, but they miss one important thing, like a value proposition that they can communicate well. So like, I think a couple of points on this. First, there's nothing wrong with being a generalist. In fact, you know, I truly believe that innovation comes from the intersection of different things and fields. But when you hire an advisor, I think I've seen a lot of clients try to solve for something a bit more specific or a problem or, you know, something that's generally keeping them up at night. And I think the problem that I see is that a lot of excellent candidates overestimate how obvious the skill set is. And they overestimate that, you know, every client is going to know exactly when the skill set is going to add value, which unfortunately isn't normally the case. That's one important thing. Another piece of advice would be to uh, don't underestimate the power of your network or just how small a gig may be. Like you never know where it's going to lead to. Like speak to leaders you worked with, investors that you know are a great way in. And also work on your personal branch. Like I cannot stress this enough. And obviously this takes a lot of work. But the reality is that if people aren't aware of of you or your work or that you're even remotely interested in doing advisory work, then they're not really going to contact you. So I think it takes to be really humble to nail this one. And also in personal brand, make sure that your profile is always updated on point, like first impressions last, update your, your LinkedIn profile regularly. I know it's, it's pretty obvious, but it's a lot of times it's, it, it goes massively ignored. Thanks, Marina. Chris, love your thoughts on the same question, but also particularly any advice you have when it comes to advisors looking to position themselves, their skill set, pricing, all those things that maybe somebody new to this would be like, where do I start? Number one, just having a solid track record of brands you've worked for under your belt is often the immediate unlock. I'm really fortunate that I've worked at some great brands that have gone on to become household names. I didn't know that they would do necessarily at the time, but to say, you know, yes, I've worked at Gray's, HelloFresh, at Harry's in the UK and the US, and I've advised, you know, 10 or so, you know, other brands, it just is a bit of an immediate unlock. So I think Marina talks about having your story and articulating it well, 100%. Like you can have great experience, but not talk to it or articulate that well. That's important. Just having a track record is really, really important. And I think showing that you've got breadth of experience is also really important. Again, Brands don't want you to come in and say, there's one way of doing this. There's, there's often not, right? They want you to come in and say, hey, I've seen it play out this way or that way. Or, hey, as, as the winds have changed and investment criteria have changed, your strategy has changed. Here's how I've seen it play out in this context. You don't want to just be telling them what to do. You want to work with them to come to some decisions too. And, and, and showing breadth of experience and articulating that well is a really important part of positioning yourself as an advisor. The good news is the more advisory you do, there's some sort of element of network effects. The more breadth you get, the better you are at going in, understanding and adding value to the next brand. So it's it's quite addictive in that, in that sense. Be really careful and honest with yourself and others about what you are experienced at, but perhaps more crucially, what you're not super strong and experienced at. Do not go in and pretend to be an expert on absolutely everything. They will respect you and value you more if you say, here is where I can add real value up front. And here's actually where I'm going to point you in another direction or try and find someone in the network that might be able to help you. Category specific experience doesn't matter. Right? Like I've worked in categories that I have no concept of before going in. I, I'm not a target customer. That doesn't matter. So don't worry too much about positioning yourself as the category expert. Often coming in as a a newbie to a category is good because you have to come in and you have to be very data-driven and insights-based. You come in without any existing bias. So category-specific experience doesn't matter. 
be really thoughtful about how you articulate how you get to know a company, how you come in without incoming biases and your approach to kind of insights driven learning as an advisor. You, you put bias at the door and you come in and you get to know them and their customer. Productizing your offering is quite a kind of common topic of conversation amongst advisors. You know, you want a website that is very specific about these are your three products and your different price points. I think for some people that probably does help. So I definitely don't want to diminish that. I personally haven't felt it be crucial up to this point. Uh, generally, what I, I find is most helpful is listening to a company, listening to their problems and then saying, here are the ones I think I can help you with. And as I said earlier, here are the ones that actually I think you'll need to go else, elsewhere from. Pricing, you touched on, James. Pricing is an interesting one. I mean, the kind of like straightforward answer is basically it's whatever the market's willing to pay in the same way that's the case for full-time roles. There's more that goes into it, right? How much do you or don't you want the work? How busy are you or, or aren't you? Clearly, you can go and you can get benchmarks from recruiters or online to sort of figure out what the day rate is for someone of your experience and your particular spike of experience. If someone wants a mathematical approach, you know, a really basic way to take your full-time salary that you were getting paid or are getting paid, divide it by 230 and then multiply it by 1.2 or one, excuse me, 1.3 or 1.4 to get roughly where your day rate should sit. That's the mathematical approach. Clearly there's a bunch of other considerations that will go into it. If you're just starting out, you know, you might want to be more generous in the amount that you charge just to get some uh, experience under your belt. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. JBM, of course, are always happy to have a call when it comes to anyone starting their journey on this. But there's also such a growing network of advisors out there. I've always found the tech ecosystem a very generous one and one where people in your network will take calls and will give you advice. But obviously, we're hoping lots of people will listen to this and, and find this as a great source of inspiration and insight. Chris, this, this may be a leading question given our day jobs, but uh, I've got to ask, how have you found working with a headhunter help you as an advisor? What's been your experience and how useful is it as you kind of embark on this new journey as an advisor? It can be really helpful, for sure. I mean, I, my personal experience is actually most of my advisory work to date has come from my network. I will say, like, I, you know, I really encourage anyone who's interested in an advisory build your network, have conversations, meet people, add value where you can without necessarily considering yourself an official advisor, right? Just, just have that mindset and build that network. Clearly, really important. That said, you know, it can definitely help to work with a headhunter. Um, increasingly, headhunting firms like JBM are setting themselves up to place advisors and fractionals. And clearly, you know, you guys are, are plugged into the ecosystem. You've gained trust with a lot of brands. And so your recommendations on people can carry a lot of weight and cut out some of the back and forth that you might have if you're new to a brand and it's not someone that's in, you know, a brand or company that's in your network. The other thing is that Headhunters can often provide insights into the company culture that the company themselves aren't necessarily willing <laughs> to tell you themselves, which is actually really crucial as an advisor. You need to go in and sure, when you're onboarding as an advisor, there's a bunch of onboarding information and decks and spreadsheets, etc. Um, but actually the ways of working and how things are done, often it's unsaid. And your ability to be successful as an advisor is to understand that as much as the stuff that's written down. A headhunter can really help you 
when going into a firm because they can kind of give you some of that texture before you go in. Lastly, clearly headhunting firms are, are often looking to position, you know, position full-time roles. But the secret weapon, I think, in this current climate is to say, look, we'll work with you on that. But in the interim, listen, there's an advisor or a kind of an interim person that can come in uh, and it takes the pressure off finding that full-time person. And you can then be much more considered in making sure that that hire is right, whilst also providing that company with some short-term immediate help. So yeah, listen, I think it can be incredibly helpful. Thank you. Uh, and to that last point, it's, it's so interesting to see how many advisory people that we've placed into roles have uh, ended up going perm in that organization. And that maybe wasn't their original intention, but they've had such a good experience from both sides. They've actually maybe decided, actually, this is, this is the place I want to be long term. So again, I think there's huge benefit on both sides to being an advisor, and it does open lots of different doors. As a founder, I know firsthand how invaluable high quality advisors can be. JVM have hired for ourselves many over the years, uh, whether it's for people related projects, whether it's to do with uh, shaping new propositions or, or business development. So I've benefited tons from it myself, but would love to hear your thoughts, Marina, given that you work with founders all the time. Uh, on these particular hires, what are the main benefits to them? Because we're going to have founders listening to this who may have their attention sort of uh, grabbed by the conversation, uh, but still need a bit of convincing. So yeah, what are the benefits of, uh, of having advisors? One of the hardest thing is to know when to also hire an advisor. And I think as a business goes from, you know, from startup to scale up, as a founder, you may not notice the growth until, you know, you take a step back and you're like, oh, you know, operational needs have changed and the team is bigger and our revenues are bigger. But then as your business kind of goes into the next stage, it can be really hard to determine what's next. And that's when having a sounding board and that shoulder that Chris was talking about earlier can be really beneficial. And also for the founder, helps relieve a lot of pressure. That's one thing. I think for me, an advisor's value largely comes from managing behavior well, helping a founder set the direction and you know stay the course. I think interventions in times of panic are naturally very valuable but even outside of I think turbulent times founders can unknowingly make a lot of emotional mistakes that can hurt their businesses and unfortunately it's not always obvious because they don't always have the tools to notice or the reporting yet and as a founder you'll be 100% constantly navigating the unexpected like you James and it's very easy to lose sight of what you don't know when you're in firefighter mode, like 90% of the time. So advisors can provide invaluable experience at a time where, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty ahead, full-time resource isn't yet needed. And the company's just trying to, you know, work out what's the best way of moving forward, where, where the gaps are. And I always say getting the right advisor can save you a lot of time and, and very expensive mistakes. I've had situations where, you know, I had to push back on uh, when speaking to a client who was looking to hire a 20 plus years experienced CMO to lead a team of one. Like, how are you going to get that person to be engaged? You know, hiring experienced talent and hiring the best of the best is just the beginning, but then you need to keep them engaged. And I think hiring them as an advisor first is a great way of doing exactly that because what you need to hire when you've raised the seed round doesn't need to be, in fact, probably won't be the same as the person that you need when you've scaled five times and are in, in a serious C. So that's just like to provide a bit of context. If you want some kind of benefits, uh, a bit more like clear, I would say strategic direction, execution, directional change. I think there's a lot of pivoting, making changes to products and services, launching new products. And also it can be very discreet engagements like, you know, we've seen someone hire a specific 
fundraising advisor because founders don't know everything of everything. That's perfectly fine. So I think fundraising has been a, a very clear one for us. And also another one has been managing the relationships between them and, and their investors, which often bring a lot of pressure. There's no right answers for this. I think there's a lot of benefits, but you need to really take a, a humble approach and realize what the, that you need help with. Uh, but don't wait until it's too late. Great advice. And I think that's the, again, the, the one of the beauties of, of hiring advice is, is it, you can ramp it up and down. You don't need it all the time, but you can use advisors in different ways. And we've seen it as you've described some of the examples, but um, people that are using them, I think are using them to great effect and actually can really make the boat go faster in earlier days. I've seen a lot of great founders who are first time founders leverage exceptional leaders who they'd never be able to afford full time, but bring them in at a really pivotal point of the journey to help turbocharge sales or to to help land a massive fundraising deal that they probably wouldn't have got had they not got that advisor that gravitas that experience alongside them so it doesn't have to be you know later stage it can be earlier stage as well and i just think there's there's so much opportunity there so i do hope any founders listening to this will start to if they've never used advice before they'll definitely start to to give it some consideration because it, it really can help i think that uh, one of the main uh, feedbacks that we get from founders is how they're able to on your point make budgets you know stretch further gain a lot of credible advices that adds ultimate credibility to their business so i think you're able to tap into a pool of problem solvers that want to stay in the scene that's immensely powerful and it can be so affordable and i think that's uh, and the last thing is having experienced talent coaching a younger team which is what chris was referring earlier i think it can be a great way of like especially transitioning that time where you're kind of still in planning mode you quite not know what the strategy is going to be. So that doesn't make sense to hire for something that you don't know what's coming. So it's isn't that sort of transition mode that advice can be really powerful? Chris, let's say there are founders listening to this that are sold. They want to bring in an advisor now after your great advice. How do they get the most out of an advisor? How do they set them up for success. Based on your experience, uh, I'd love your advice for anyone that now is going to go in and hire one. It's really important because you can hire a great advisor and not utilize them well. And that's a real waste of time and money. And actually, it might put you off hiring an advisor again, despite everyone's best intentions. So, you know, number one, be really clear about what you're looking for help for. Consider writing a job description. Does she like you would with a new role, full-time role? Put effort into thinking about how this person will add value, how they'll work with the existing team. Put the time in. Don't just assume you can bring someone in and it's going to be fine. Think about it. Be thoughtful about kind of how you're bringing someone in, what they're going to do. Speak to several people. Even if someone's got great experience on the face of it, someone else might be better at working for you, your brand, working within your company, your ways of working. So don't just settle for someone because they've got, you know, a really flashy company on the CV. They need to be able to work within the context of your company. This is consistently talked about in the kind of advisory cohorts as, as, as absolutely critical. Absolutely make sure you have an incredibly clear outline of the deliverables. What exactly is going to be produced and by when? The advisor should be putting that together for you, but they can only do that after really good, honest, open conversations. Make sure you've got that deliverables. Now, things might change during the course of the advisory. That's fine. But just always bring it back to the deliverables so that there's no miscommunication or mis misunderstanding or misalignment on what exactly this person's going to be achieving for you. This one is, is perhaps less talked about, but kind of 
from my experiences, it can make or break the success of an advisor. As a founder, build a culture that is curious and values other perspectives. All the companies I've felt where I've been kind of most value-add have been environments where the team are really excited that you're coming in. They love the idea of learning, hearing an outsider's perspective. They see it as a partnership. Where it's challenging are where teams have their backs up and they're defensive and they see you as um, a threat, which you know is absolutely never the intention of, of an advisor coming in. So build a culture that values advisory, that values alternative perspectives, and so that your team see it as their own learning and development working with an advisor. It is absolutely crucial. Help make the advisor feel part of the company. Right? When you're an advisor, you know, you're often sat remotely or you might be sat in the office, but you aren't necessarily automatically invited into the kind of workings of the company, into the culture. Well, as an advisor, part of your ability to add value is understanding the culture, understanding the, the, the stakeholders, how decisions get made. Bring this person into your business. Make them feel part of something for that period of time. Don't just treat them as someone that's billing you on a kind of hourly or daily rate. And then lastly, you know, be really honest and open. You know, don't, as a founder, you're so used to going into kind of PR and spin mode, right? Telling the most optimistic picture about everything and, and, and you know, how you're going to grow and how everything's going great, right? Actually, an advisor is coming in to help you solve real problems. Don't cover up anything if you want their help on something. So the more honest and open you can be, these are not sound bites for a piece of press. This is about helping someone to help you add value to your business. Fantastic advice, Chris. Thank you very much. This has been a really enjoyable chat. I've learned lots already, and I think I know our listeners will too. I wanted to close off by asking you both if there was any other career advice, life advice, advisor advice that you want to leave our audience with, uh, and also uh, here if you've got anything you're particularly excited about in 2024. So, Chris, I'll come to you first. I mean, so if you need help for advisory, yeah, obviously reach out. That's my first piece of advice. <laughs> on a more serious note, on the topic of advisory, you know, I'd really encourage people, like I said earlier, to do some advisory in whatever form that takes. See if it's something that you like. See where you can add value. Hone the pitch. <laughs> Hone the articulation of what you're good at and what you're not good at. Build up your own confidence. A lot of it's about confidence and build up your momentum in your network, right? So give it a go. Whilst if you're working in a full-time role, offer three 30-minute blocks to early stage companies, right? Where the stakes are a bit lower, right? You're not charging them, but you're building up this sense of understanding someone else's world, seeing if you can kind of understand it, analyze it, and then add value, and then get some feedback at the end as to you know, how, how well you did and check in six months down the line. Did the advice you give mean anything? Did it add any value? Did revenues grow? Did profitability grow, et cetera? So you know, I'd really encourage people to do it. But I'd also be really open about it's not this sort of Nirvana state world where advisory is you know the perfect place. There's a lot of challenge in advisory and some of the things that you benefit from and appreciate in a full-time role, you'll really miss when you're working in an advisor, right? Last year has been really you know tough for lots of e-com direct-to-consumer brands. You know things look like they might be stabilizing. The best brands are going to be coming through even more strongly, actually. So I think actually the last 12 months has been a good shaking out of kind of good and less stable businesses. But, you know, this year is going to be fascinating. You know, there's going to be, I believe, 4 billion people are going to be casting votes across 60 different countries. There is so much going on in the world that sometimes we lose sight of the bigger picture when we're working in, you know, direct consumer or advisory. Look outside of this world, look more broadly at what's going on. Um, there's a bigger picture. This is a huge year for democracy and actually 
sometimes those are the things that matter more. Great place to end it there, Chris. Thank you so much. And Marina, finally, we'll come to you. Any thing you're particularly excited about or any final piece of advice you want to leave our listeners with? I think something that came to mind was imposter syndrome. I think that can be something that puts off a lot of people. You know, ultimately, you are paid more than maybe a lot of people in the business that work full time. And you're the person that knows the least about the business and the product. So naturally, you can have imposter syndrome. Get used to and trying to get comfortable with that, especially at the beginning. And I think the more, like Chris was saying, the more you hone your pitch, the more you know what you're good at, then naturally the, the confidence will come and you'll get used to that. But I don't think having imposter syndrome is a sign that you shouldn't be there. It's just, it comes with a job. I would say that is uh, is one important thing. And really excited about 2024, I think. I agree, last year was tricky. Although, I think, speaking from a personal perspective, I think it was a really exciting year for me, moving into this kind of wider go-to-market role in a year where things go-to-market took a front seat in a lot of aspects. You know, actually, marketing, customer success, sales, things that everyone was thinking about. So, Really excited to see what 2024 brings. And yeah, for all of our listeners, if anybody wants to reach out for a quick five minutes, we're always here and our door is always open. Even if we cannot necessarily help you at a specific point in time, perhaps we can direct you to someone that can. Don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you, Marina. I echo that completely. And I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on, sharing your expertise and experience. This is not the first or last conversation around this topic, which I think is only going to become more and more popular. So thank you again. Pleasure. Nice to talk. Thanks, James, for having us. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you're enjoying this series of Fortunate Mentors so far, then please do consider subscribing and leaving us a review on ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm. It really does help us spread the word and help make business mentorship even more accessible. That's all again from us today, but please make sure you tune in again next week for more pocket-sized mentorship. Mentorship.